Starting the record. You want to count? America. America. You are so grand and golden. Oh, I wish I was deep in America tonight. All right. Um... So this um, was your favorite episode, mm-hmm. and it was your baby episode. And I think that like the the big thing, like the continuity here for me, who is a little further away from this episode than the others, um, is the idea of shifting perspective. You know, that's really important for for me creatively, and also for me spiritually. If I want to get into either of those zones and go there and try to access something outside of, you know, myself, Um, bringing in that change of perspective and that thing that can shift you a little bit out of whatever norm you're in and and need to occupy in order to get through your day is where plants really come in, even outside of, of cannabis, which, you know, this episode certainly stretched the boundaries of just cannabis and went into some other kind of like plant medicine stuff. In this season and this episode, we're exploring plants and their power to do this for us. And I think, you know, psychoactive plants are kind of more obvious, I guess, for people, I think, to think about shifts in perspective. But especially, you know, in terms of um, talking to Ken, there's a whole other field of plant medicine, which like we touched upon, but we didn't get into it super deep um, just because we were, you know, it's like a huge topic and we are trying to focus on cannabis. However, um, I kind of felt like, you know, our audience could benefit from hearing more about that. And I feel like you might be a good person to talk about it because it so happens that you have a little bit of experience in that area. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I think that Ken was the perfect person to sort of go there because he has, you know, he calls himself in the episode and his family a secular materialists, which is, I think, another way of just saying, like, kind of normal people, like capitalists, you know, people who are um, not tapped into, like, boo-boo stuff. And for that matter, you know, their bodies or things that far outside themselves, besides perhaps the economy. <laughs> and, um, and yet Ken is representative of so many people who do come from a very um, reason-based, secular materialist background, and yet have had some kind of weird, trippy experience or some, you know, string of seemingly coincidental happenings that lead them to a place they never thought they'd They'd land, they'd land or end up. And I think that's what a lot of people who are working in plant medicine and spirituality are finding is that they came to it through really strange paths and realized all of a sudden that, you know, they were, they're, you know, people who perhaps were also already kind of, um, you know, into this idea of, 
of like Gaia or oneness or, you know, we're all interconnected, like the old Alexander von Humboldt, you know, like this goes way back. This goes back to like 18th century. You know, this is not a new concept that we're all interconnected. You know, there have been poets and explorers and scientists and metaphysicists who forever have been, you know, this was like largely agreed upon throughout the world for so long. And yet we got kind of far away from it. And I think we're starting to come back. And so a lot of people are like, okay, if I want to tap into something outside myself, I need something to help me get there. And forever that's been God, you know, or your religion. It's been some kind of dogma. But I think now people are becoming, again, in like Ken's words, their own gurus. Like we're in this post-guru moment where you don't Mm -hmm. need one person to be like, this is what you have to do in order to reach enlightenment or spirituality. And they're just kind of picking and choosing from different areas and um, methods out there. And they're finding their own way to kind of tap into something larger than themselves. So I think plant medicine and plant spirit medicine, as I understood and and practiced it in my, in my business ultimately was um, using plants to just kind of tap into something bigger than yourself. And some people meditate, some people ingest tons of that plant. And these are plants that aren't necessarily psychotropic or psychoactive at all. But um, people are trying to kind of tap into the consciousness of this other believedly sentient being outside themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 assuming and believing that the plant has a consciousness and an energetic makeup just like any other living thing. So can you give me an example of just like what that would look like for for you or for someone that you know in terms of like, you know, how— like, do you go out into the wilderness and, like, access these plants? And is that how most people are doing it? Or are they doing it through um, just finding, you know, herbal suppliers? Or, like, how is it something that, like, for people who just, like, don't even know where to start or how to, like, start? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks a million different ways, you know. It's, you know, some people, yeah, some people are going on these retreats. And I mean, it, it would you could liken it to an ayahuasca ceremony, right? Where someone has this plant and they've sort of reduced it a million different ways. And, you know, people are eating it and drinking it and meditating with it and sitting with it in ceremony of some sort for a couple of days. But a lot of people are also just building a relationship with a plant, let's say, by hanging out in the woods, you know, growing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe making a, a little tincture out of it or putting it in their bath or whatever right. it is and just trying to kind of expand their awareness to include the idea that this plant might have something of significance to share with a human. You know, it's it's being very um, post-anthropocentric. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's taking that idea that we are the center of the universe out of the equation and opening ourselves up to the idea that, you know, the plant's might have something to share of importance. And so it's really cool, you know, and some people aren't even doing that. Some people are like, okay, well, I'm actually going to, um, you know, just take this tincture that has this plant in it and um, agree to let that plant work on me in more than just the physical plane. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, choose your own adventure. And I think a lot of people there's just so many ways that you can kind of go about it. And, you know, for me as someone who um, very much feels and is tuned into kind of that, you know, I, I guess I have like kind of a Kantian a view where I like I'm somewhere between reason and experience, you know, mm-hmm. like it's like I'm not totally into rationalism. I'm to- not totally into, you know, 
empiricism, but I, I believe that the things that I know and like my, the mind of my mind, like the mind of the knower mm-hmm. totally has a huge impact over how I then experience the things that we agree to mm-hmm. exist, like mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and math and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the trees out there and the road and the cars. And so, um, some people are way too woo-woo and far out for me. And some people, I really resonate with how they do their thing, but I'm open to anyone doing their thing the way that they, the way that serves them and, and helps them realize that they're not the center of the fucking universe. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really, I, I really appreciate this movement. And yet some of it's tough to get behind. Some of it, I just roll my eyes at and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, but cool. You do you. It's interesting, like, um, one thing that Ken said about his sort of, like, transformation from being someone that wasn't really connected to that sense of interconnection and also to the plant world. And also, he said, even to his own body. and To his own body as a New Yorker. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And— Well, that's why he was such a good example, right? Right. And I was just thinking about how— all of this stuff about like accessing interconnectivity, um, I think just comes in different um, ways. And like you were just saying, like we all have our own brand of doing it. And for some people it is church or God. And for some people it feels, you know, they feel more interconnected with the universe and our earth. It's nature. Yeah. They go for a walk in the woods. Um, You know, I think taking— And some people, it's painting. So one thing about the plant medicine that I thought was kind of interesting, though, is that it's, like, leading towards this idea of interconnectivity and, um, you know, not being so anthropocentric. Anthropocentric, yeah. And um, But at the same time, so you're, like, moving towards interconnect this idea of interconnection, but at the same time, I feel like people, the people who tend to do it are— and maybe this, I'm wrong on this, but it's like an exercise, it's exercising an individualist approach to medicine and healing because people are like, I'm going to find what works for me and I'm not going to just go to the doctor and like have them have all the knowledge. I'm going to start to heal myself. And so there's kind of like these two things at play where, you know, like strong individualism and sort of like doing things your own way versus like, and at the same time, like, accessing interconnectivity and this sort of collectivism (laughs) through the individualism. That's so interesting. No, I love where you're going because I haven't really thought about that, the duality of that on both ends and how, yeah, I mean, we've for so long given all of this power and sort of siloed knowledge and and power with a bunch of male doctors. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you chase this all the way back to like midwifery and I mean, this is like such a huge like kind of theme in our our world. and now it does seem like a lot of this plant wisdom, if you will, is being held by women and it is empowering people to kind of participate in their own healing and in their own health and wellness, you know, period, full stop. Um, but but at the same time, throughout doing that, giving them this very um, individual experience. So th- I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I think, I guess for me, it makes sense that we went to extremes on both ends. And so both are spinning back around. You know, it's that idea of like duplicity and that there's all these different things shifting. I'm almost thinking of gears, you know, where um, there's all these different things simultaneously kind of like working themselves out in our culture and our society and and the power dynamics, and they're all kind of like shifting at their own speed to a point where maybe they 
someday align in a new way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, hmm. yeah, I, it's it's funny because you do see, you know, part of where we're going this down the road in, in our project is um, everyone's seeking something. You know, not all people, let's say, are seeking, you know, natural healing methods, though it does seem to be a trend. Um, but everyone that I run into, I mean, even the most unassuming, unsuspecting characters out there are like, you know, going to mediums or like having their astrology read or it's, I mean, people are just really reaching for stuff these days. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, you know, as we keep saying, when there's mediums in the White House on 9-11 and our stockbrokers are consulting, you know, mediums and, and sort of, you know, people who you wouldn't expect in, in including them in their algorithms for where they're making their investments each month, our world is shifting. And some of this, as I was saying earlier, is really circling back to an earlier time, like almost that romantic period, you know, and, and like the enlightenment where, where we're coming kind of back around to some of these ideas that we'd forgotten after things became, you know, like there's always these, these cycles in, if you look back through history, it's from like the, the mechanics of something to the nature of something, back to like more mechanical industrial revolution, back to, you know, like it, it just keeps going round and round. And I think we're in another one of those moments where we're coming back to this other place that's a little softer and a little bit more nature-based and a little bit beyond, you know, but then there's AI in the horizon. So it's going to come back around again. And maybe, yeah, but maybe AI is like some weird version of this too. Like evolution. Yeah. And like some kind of spiritual way. And just because it is almost like um, a spirit. I fucking hope not. It, I think it's, it's terrifying. Kind of like out here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I talk, I have these conversations. I know we're getting way out here now, but I have these conversations with people a lot where, it's like, I could never... Did you ever see that movie Ready Player One? No. I watched it with my son, who was 10, you know, a year ago. And it was a really interesting movie about this dystopian future where we have polluted the world to such an extent that we all just go plug into our virtual realities and then we live through a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And when you unplug and you go back out into the world, it's scary and it's dangerous and it's not so fun, but it's, this, you know, the dystopian future. And so... I think about that and I'm like, I could never, I, it would just never, there's still something about actually the senses, the senses actually being immersed in nature or the world at large versus that simulation. I just don't think that that would ever be a good enough sell for people who have experienced something else unless it was the only option. You know, like, I just don't, there is no soul in, like, we don't even understand consciousness, so how can we expect to create machines that do? I don't really know. I mean, what you're saying, like, I guess on sort of a practical level, I think yes, because, like, I only have my experience through my body, so my body seems so important. On another level, can I imagine a time that, like, we live through a virtual reality? Kind of. I mean, like, think about what happens in a sensory deprivation tank where you basically just like trip out and lose touch with your body and like your mind goes wherever. Like maybe it's kind of like that. Yeah. You know, I actually had never even been in one of those, like used one of those 3D reality things until I was in a store in 
like Midtown. It's just some stupid store where they could let they would sit you in this little booth and give you the goggles and you could pretend you were like flying over, I don't know, like London or something. But I could see how if you were in the right setting and you had good tech, it would have been pretty wild. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, mind always, there's always room to have your mind blown, I suppose. But back to like this episode, I did want to mention really quickly that one thing Jake brought up that I really appreciated, and Jake was such a fun interview. This guy was so funny, so smart, um, really like expanded my mind around kind of where weed was at. He was one of the earlier interviews I did, and he kind of helped me get it, the industry and cannabis as, as a culture or like a movement and industry right now in a way no one else had yet. Um, but I loved when he was talking about sort of using pot and how he's like, listen, some things are just objectively bad, mm-hmm. you know? And if creativity were easy, we'd all do it and we'd all be great at it. But failure is such a huge part of the process. And, you know, it's really all about kind of the journey and For me, I liked that because pot's one of those things that when the journey's starting to suck, I use. And it makes me remember that life can be like a lot lighter and a lot um, more fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) than what otherwise seems like a horrible, sticky, overwhelming, you know, demanding moment. Yeah. And so I like that he, I just like that he said that, that yeah, some of the stuff you like, you might, if you're using pot, you might come up with things that are bad, but the process of, you know, getting out of yourself and bringing that new thing in and just shifting perspective might be exactly what you need. And that's important too. I would agree. I would say I ne- I don't really use pot like that because I'm too anxious. So if I use it when I'm feeling bad, it just like, you know, amplifies that, which I guess Tara talked about a little bit, just it's like powers as a psychic amplifier. Um, But I definitely use it um, or have used it for creativity and usually not when I have any like real goal. So it would be more like, I use it more like, because I think it's fun to think about weird stuff. (laughs) And, but I, you know, like I feel, I compulsively like want to write stuff down or like I'm someone who like writes down their high thoughts and I have about 500 journals to prove it. So (laughs) it's like, do you ever go back through them and are like, oh, those were really good. Yes. And (laughs) I have had some um, things that ended up becoming something in the world that um, came to me when I was high and a lot of stuff that didn't. And for me, I just, like, that's kind of my, um, one of my mood elevators, I guess, like, you know, accessing flow state in some way, shape or form. So like I used to do it through exercise a lot after I had kids, I like don't have as much time for that. And I think I can just do it more in my mind through like creative stuff. And I think that that's kind of, um, a mood elevator. It like makes, that makes me feel like things are better. And I think pot definitely can take me there maybe faster, you know? Yeah. I'm not as good at like thinking my normal thoughts when I'm high. (laughs) So you don't, I mean, kind of like some of the stuff that Scooter was mentioning, like you don't use it to perform. You use it more to come up with ideas about what you might want to put out there and perform. Yeah, I was saying? I would say that. I mean, I have I have used it for performance before, but only when I was 
in a stage where I was like probably using it more and more used to it. And I would say for music, that has worked for me. Nothing where I would ever have to remember like a line or saying something like that would not work for me. I would get, <laughs> I that would like freak Imp- me out. Improv only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So can we talk though a little bit about, because this, this is one of those things that I think is kind of tribal about pot because I feel like you're one or the other where you're someone who's either in a bad space and you smoke pot and it just amplifies the bad or you're someone who's in a bad place and you use pot and it, it makes things better. I wonder what that is. Like that must just be biological. Yeah, that's like our endocannabinoid system perhaps and just how it's Possibly. wired. Yeah, or like how it yeah. has. Thinking back to Steve's interview, um, you know, because it is psychoactive, like we all have our um, neurotransmitter sort of personal makeup or whatever. And maybe like for some people, it just, I don't know. Maybe that's, is that what you're talking about? I just remember growing up there and yeah, yeah. But even, even now, like I know people and I think that, well, I know people who, I think one of the things, one of the dots that I, or some of the dots I connected at, at a certain point is that all the people I knew who had ADD, who were mm-hmm. like ADD prone. Mm-hmm. And it, we didn't have a word for that when, when you and I were growing up. It was just starting to come medication and it was a thing, and but not for most of our childhood. But all of a sudden, it was obvious that those people were <laughs> still like hyperactive or had like a little extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all those people, when they would smoke pot, would come back down to a place where they, like they would become concentrated. Whereas someone like myself who is definitely not like an ADD person who was already pretty like focused on stuff just at my normal resting place would smoke and I'd get sent like way out into the ether. You know, I like, I would go, like I would just get high, you know, and I'd have friends who were suddenly like more focused and seemed smarter. And I'd be like, I don't feel smarter. (laughs) I'm having more fun, but I do not feel smarter. (laughs) And so I always thought that that was interesting. Um, because it does speak to like brain chemistry and body chemistry. Yes, it does. That observation anyway. I have no idea if there's anything to that, but it was something I was observing as a younger person even. And now that we're studying all that stuff, I'd like to pose that question to the world and the scientists. I mean, if you're posing it to me, I would I would agree with you. And I feel like I've noticed the same thing. Really? Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I can think of like a a list of people right now in my mind who are ADD people that like are pretty normal. Smoke and become more normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a medicine for them in a big Mm way. Mm -hmm. Oh, this brings me back. I had a question when we were talking earlier about plant medicine. So in terms of like cannabis, you know, we've covered this season um, that There's just sort of like, you know, so many different sides to treating yourself with cannabis medically and and how that intersects with like the regulation. And in terms of plant medicine in general, is it kind of like cannabis where it is the Wild West and you don't know what you're getting with different herbal, you know, supplements from somebody? Um, I mean, I'm sure it could be. And I guess as this blows up as a space or an industry, maybe it will. But I think in my experience anyway, because it's always led by someone, it's not something that most people just are like, oh, I'm going to go 
research plant spirit medicine. It's usually something you happen upon or suggested to you by a friend or, you know, you're, you're sort of working through some sort of guide or um, teacher, I guess, that I think there's less of that. But I don't know. I mean, there's always room for scam artists, right? And snake oil. But I think that it's such an intentional thing. And the the people I see working with it seem to be so on the up and up that I don't think that that's really existing in that space yet anyway. Aren't they? But aren't they like chemically working on each body differently? So is, that's, I guess, what I'm getting at. Like, is it like saying— Well, they're not working, but you're not—most of the time you're not ingesting anything. So oh, there's really? no chemical— yeah, most oh. of the time this is like some pretty heady stuff. It's it's more like I said, meditating. Oh. I mean, a lot of the quote plant spirit medicine that I've been privy to is like, all right, why don't you go sit at? Why don't you go find a lobelia plant? At, there's a bunch of them over there, and just go sit down next to it for the next hour and see what happens. You know, there's usually a little bit more guidance than that, but you know, why don't you draw it? Why don't you? I mean, it's. It's kind of amorphous and there's not some, you know, I don't know, but I haven't, again, like I'm, that's not my jam. I made tinctures and that was something that I did sort of personally and like felt my own way through. But um, I'm not sure what people are, you know, if you go to this, the so-called, because this is, okay, so we were talking about the post-guru moment and yet in the instance, you know, what I'm describing is still involving some sort of guru teacher to lead you through this thing. So this is where everything's so funny and contradictory because I think we still, humans get in the way of a lot of this and our egos get in the way and our minds and Mm -hmm. the whole point of the plant spirit medicine angle is to try to get out of your mind. Speaking of that, one thing we didn't really spend that much time on in the episode that I wanted to talk about was what about the story that Tara has about using cannabis in that way, like in a spiritual way, and how the story she told about the guy who basically just, you know, was like repressing his emotions and his ability to cry and feel sad and express himself emotionally. And that he had this huge release and then his chronic pain went away. And that's, that's something that she sees all the time. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? Because this was your interview and that was your content and I was really interested to see kind of how that hit you and where you wanted to take it. I mean, I thought that that was interesting in the sense that it was just like an anecdotal observational thing that she saw. And so I kind of felt like um, she was a little bit of a pioneer in terms of using cannabis in that really intentional way in ceremony because, um, to my knowledge anyway, um, like you're saying, you know, cannabis might not be at the top of these like plant medicine people's list of like plants to sit with and have this spiritual experience with. And then she also said when it comes to this other kind of like plant spirit medicine that is in the psychedelic realm, like the ayahuasca craze and, you know, all of that other stuff that that community also like really looks down on using cannabis as a spiritual medicine. So she's sort of in this weird space where she's like, um, she felt like she was kind of, you know, a rare practitioner to use cannabis in that in that intentional way, as if it were an ayahuasca ceremony, but it's, you know, smoking weed instead. So I kind of felt like her observation about that was like, um, 
significant in that sense, I guess, you know, because like it's a street drug basically. Um, And I don't think that I've ever noticed any guys like having this experience, (laughs) you know? And Okay. You know, what's, you know, what's really funny though, is that if you think back to, and I'm certainly no, like, um, whatever, like I'm no authority on this, but like the Rasta culture, the, the whole reason, like the whole basis of that is, is the unified consciousness. Like the whole reason they're getting so fucking high and they're doing it all together is so uh-huh. that they can all reach this other level together. And that's, and that's what the music represents, you know, then the music shifts and that's what they play in groups. And again, like I probably shouldn't be speaking to this because I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I know enough to know that that is, that's part of the gig. Like that's, that's, they're not just like smoking a ton of weed to get fucked up. They're smoking a ton right. of weed to communicate together in this other, on this other level and cannabis, it, weed is what takes them there. Like that it's a cultural thing. It's deeper that than just- That is like, interesting. Yes. I was not thinking about that at all. I think I was just thinking about like how masculinity exists in our culture and like how it was kind of interesting that she noticed that cannabis was a release and that guys tended to go there emotionally. Um, just because I had never on heard cannabis. Of that. Yeah, yeah. And huh. you know, you hear about stuff like that happening with these other drugs where there's like this emotional purging and sometimes like literal purging, like people throwing up and stuff. And um <laughs> why I have not tried ayahuasca it does not sound fun. <laughs> I know. And I mean, but it's you know, like you said, it's all over. I <clears throat> there was this magazine. This picture in a magazine I saw the other day where there was some like tech guy sitting cross-legged on ayahuasca and there were all these thought bubbles all around him. And he was like, I can disrupt any industry. And like, like funny things that have to do with being a tech person, like a tech entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was just like commenting on the fact that this uh this drug is basically like infiltrating every single sort of like strata. And, um, but it's not like, it, I don't know. I think it was like kind of making fun of it in a way. Cause it was like, not that spiritual. <laughs> it was like how he was going to like, you know, <laughs> become wild. Your mind. Well, this is what I was yeah. talking about. Like your mind is still your mind. The mind of the knower, the mind of the seeker is still right. the mind right. of that person. And so whatever your basis is, you know, whatever your, um, you know, wherever you're starting from and whatever your inherent perspective is, is going to affect where you go. No matter what, no matter how you're using any of this stuff, whether it's recreationally, whether it's in some spiritual way, whether it's, you know, as a medicine, there's always, especially if it's psychotropic, there's going to be that, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that the fact that Tara is even dealing with this idea of, like, American masculinity and, and whatnot, like, mad prop sister, Go for it. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a bunch. I think that part of this moment that's really interesting is that, you know, we're in this Me Too moment, but um, you can't ever ignore the other half of the population in both respects. You know, you can't there's, – there's always going to be that um, balance and that equal and opposite, you know, action and reaction. And so, you know, what about, what about the women raising men? Like, we're not talking about that very much because ultimately every man in this culture has a mom. And what about what men are told and expected of and what that means for how 
they then do act out in a, um, you know, in a in our society. Like it's it's not as if only women are the victims of a. Um, how could how do I not have the word for this? Uh, you know, our, what our society is dominated a by toxic men. What do you call that? Patriarchal, patriarchal society. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's right. So not only women are the victims of a patriarchy. Like so are all the men. It's it's a it's a social contract and an agreement and a way that we. Um, conduct ourselves that no one is beyond. Like just because men happen to have more power in this moment doesn't mean that all of them are actively choosing that. They're like born into that. And that doesn't take the onus off of them to help shift that once we all recognize it's wrong. But I think we're in that moment where we're recognizing that this isn't working so well. So how do we help everyone along? I think that's going to be a great question for next season. This land is your land. This land is my land From California To the New York Island From the Redwood Forest To the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me As I went walking That ribbon of highway I saw above me that in this skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this episode of the multiverse was written by Katie Wilson and Caitlin Scholl with editing and sound design by Ian Carlson and Mixmaster by Chris Burns Theme music is America by artist Bill Callahan. This Land is Your Land rendition is by Robber and Thief. Playlist for this podcast can be found at www.the-multiverse.com, where you can also find more information about us, collaborating artists, and new episodes of this podcast. And again, thanks for listening. Yeah. 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 Yeah.